Hi, everybody. It's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au. I'm a vestibular audiologist and a neuroplasticity therapist, and I take great interest in supporting the healing and recovery journey of people with chronic invisible elusive symptoms, in particular, tinnitus, vertigo, and dizziness conditions. And part of the path I walk is, is alongside medical doctors and medical professionals who care deeply about their patients, but really feel at a dead end and they don't know what's next and they don't understand what their clients and patients are feeling. They don't understand why the treatments aren't working. And everybody's in a little bit of a ruffle, I guess you could say. And the place I take up is once physical investigations and medical clearances happened, I help my clients go beyond that physical investigation of, you know, behavioral and postural changes or drugs, diets, um, you know, or the medication route and bedside exercises. And we start to look at the mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of ourselves and how that impacts our nervous system and how our neural networks are mapping and connected. So I'm quite excited today to talk to a medical professional who's on the same page as me. So I want to introduce you to Dr. Fred Moss, who's a psychiatrist and who has really taken a stance in questioning perhaps how the medical system is looking at clients with mental illness. And I'm really excited by your novel approach, Dr. Fred. Welcome to the call. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me as a guest. I can't, I'm you know, really looking forward to our conversation. First of all, can you perhaps just introduce yourself and, and give us the, the short story of how you came to question the system and and look at the authentic person and their authentic voice as opposed to labeling a mental illness or a, um, yeah, t tell us a little bit how you shifted from that medical model to the whole human perspective. It's funny. Well, I, I didn't really shift. I just went back. You'll hear in a moment how that works is, um, you know, I was born to be a communicator. I was born to a family that was in some degree of disarray and chaos. I had two older brothers who were 10 and 14 years older than me. And my parents and them weren't getting along. And my idea, you know, what was counted on for me is to bring joy and a bundle of communication and connection to a family that was in chaos. And I did a probably pretty good job for a couple of years. I was, uh, you know, precocious before I started school. I knew how to talk and I knew how to read and I knew how to, you know, do some math before I started kindergarten. And I really just fell in love with this whole idea of communication and communication being at the center of all healing was very clear to me that all things that got done got done as a function of uh, two people at least communicating with each other. So I thought that when I was going to go to school, that's exactly what they would teach me. But when I got to school, I realized that that wasn't the story at all. Mm. And, you know, my uh, kid, my uh, my peers were much more interested in you know, throwing blocks and picking their nose. And I was interested in reading and throwing blocks and picking my nose after all. And, and um, at the same time, there was an opportunity for really learning where was I going to learn how to communicate? <clears throat> hmm. I figured it would be the fourth or sixth graders maybe. Uh, but as I got older, that wasn't the case as well. And then I went into the next course and the next course at junior highs and the high schools and became you know, increasingly disillusioned and disappointed. Eventually, I decided to go to college, um, hoping that, of course, that would be where I learned how to communicate. But in fact, uh, you know, rote communication in the conventional uh, educational system was not open, uh, you know, was not open emphasis on discourse. It isn't really a form of communication that I thought was going to move the world forward. So I dropped out of college and then 
went back for a short period of time and then I dropped out forever. I, that was it. I came home and I said, I'm never going to school again. Mm. And my mom agreed that it was okay for me to do that, but she wanted me to get a job. And she got me an application for working with uh, adolescent boys, like six or seven years younger than me. And, uh, as a childcare worker. And there I began to communicate, you know, there at that job, I began to communicate to help people heal. And not only was they healing, but I was healing at the same time inside of this connection. Hmm. And I really saw that I, I really loved conversation as a source of healing for all conditions, actually. I mean, these are just, you know, call them kids, but really they were just people trying to figure out what their next step was, just like me. And I really love that. You know, the thing I hated about it, and this is what my point is about it, I didn't really back out, was I hated how psychiatry was treating those kids. You know, we would call the psychiatrist when Johnny was up too late and he would show up from his call room with a pen in hand and he'd interview Johnny for 33 seconds and then he'd interview us for five seconds and then he'd write an order and then we'd have to fill, you know, we'd have to take Johnny and put him on the ground and, you know, pull down his sweatpants a little bit and fill him full of, you know, adult pharmaceutical grade antipsychotic injectable medication until he was uh, out of his misery. And if he didn't speak for 12 or 24 hours, we called that a success story. Now, the truth is that's still going on all over the psychiatric hospitals all over the world. But I found that to be barbaric and unacceptable because that is, Johnny just needed to be heard. And uh, so I decided eventually after doing this day after day after day that I was no longer just going to accept it. And I made it my business to go back to school because my brother was already a psychiatrist and learn how to be a psychiatrist so I can bring communication where it needed to be right in the heart of psychiatry. In the meantime, while I was in training, there was a big paradigmatic shift because Prozac was introduced to the world in 1987. Yeah. And Prozac, you know, most people don't know that because most people aren't old enough to really remember the impact of Prozac. But the impact was, you know, very, very large. And it changed uh, everything about psychiatry. So now psychiatry was no longer a talk field. It was a field based on biology and, and, and like chemo, the theory of chemical imbalance as being the cause of all discomfort, rather than discomfort being the cause of discomfort, or perhaps discomfort, proper discomfort with how the world is going, being something that was acceptable or even embraceable. And can I, can I just share yes. something here? First of all, like I can just feel my heart so feeling with sadness for, for all people around the world who are deeply medicated and silenced, chemically silenced. <sighs> I feel like I just going to take a moment to feel that. And it's not just psychiatry. I've heard my friends who are nurses talking about it too and on general wards and um, yeah. silencing pain rather than listening. And my husband, who's a pretty hardcore engineering scientist, he, he has this term he brings up all the time, which is the hybrid model. And it's coming to me now, which is... Well, sure, they are chemical imbalances at when we feel very melancholic or very excited and all the chemicals shifting through our neurotransmitters and hormones and body and brain, but that doesn't mean it's a chemical solution. And I feel like having that hybrid information of the narrative I have, the choices I make, the behaviors, the habits, the relationships, these change my chemicals too. It's not just a pill solution. So it's kind yeah. of like we need the conversation to be broader um, not so far polarized in either direction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's what happened. Is that I, I don't even know that I agree that it's chemical imbalance. It's just a chemical alteration, and it doesn't. It's not causative of anything. Actually, it's just a correlation. But in any case, you know, medications were often running as a primary form of psychiatric intervention. And, you know, these days, if you ask the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist, everyone will say that, you know, exactly the one thing, which is that psychiatry prescribes medicine. So before too long, I was a diagnostician. I had seen 40,000 patients in my career, and um, I had written well over 100,000 different psychiatric and medical prescriptions. And, uh, you know, this was sad because this is, I went into the field so that I wouldn't have to do either of those things. And now I was a world expert on the stage of doing both of those things. So um, in 2006, I I started doing something a little bit different and seemingly somewhat radical in that I I, I took people off medicine. I took my low-risk patients off medicine and lo, lo and behold, they got way better and reliably way better. In many cases, their diagnosis entirely disappeared. Yeah. Just by just by, uh, you know, really connecting and then giving them creative outlets such as art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening and those kinds of things. I just want to put it into layman's terms as well. Like when we when we're diagnosed. So my background was psychology and it's exactly what you're saying. It was psychiatry was all about medication and, and labels. And, um, anyways. When people are given a label such as anxiety or depression or OC, um, obsessive compulsive disorder or personality disorder or schizophrenia, it's like we can view it from the medical lens and take that route. Or we could say, okay, here's a whole human. They're hearing voices. They're feeling melancholic. They've got lots of sad fears and statements going on through their mind, or they're very disconnected in their community. They're lonely. They're alone. They they have a confused inner world. They don't understand the voices and thoughts and feelings going on in their body. So they're shutting down from themselves. So when we take the whole person approach, it's really understandable. And we have pathways to bring clarity to that inner world. We have pathways to talk about it, to listen, to be in the muck, to be uncomfortable. It's like, well, maybe it's okay that you're melancholic for a little bit of time. While as a whole human, you integrate the chapter of life you're growing into and there's, there's ways we can support the confused inner world space, to use my rock steady language, of what's going on, that mental, emotional, spiritual stuff that's happening inside of us. We can bring clarity and the healing can come through that quagmire of being listened to and navigating and having tools for clarity, in which case we, we avoid the diagnostic path altogether. So I just wanted to clarify what we're meaning by there's two different ways of looking at the same person. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this idea of there being nothing wrong with uh, feeling bad is really important. Yeah. You know, this idea, That's my morning yeah. cup of tea. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you start looking at uh, how anxiety and depression are just uh, just uh, emotions, just as well as happiness and, and you know, and eagerness. And they're all they're all um, welcome. They're all beautiful. They're just kind of, yeah, they're kind of human. Uh, they're part of, hard, part of the human smorgasbord of available emotions. Yeah. And they're embraceable in their own right. And they don't represent there being anything wrong with another, per, you know, with a person. Uh, so, you know, no one desires to be sad, unhappy, or, or, you know, afraid or anxious or anything like that. No one is looking forward to the next time they feel terrible. 
But when you feel terrible, you it's is actually embraceable as one of the choices or one of the available options of how to manage the world. And and sometimes it takes us by storm and sometimes we choose it. And, you know, this idea of when I started taking people off medicine and they started getting better, um, I had now become a healer again, you know, which is why I came to the planet in the first place. And so as a healer, I started, you know, really broadening my scope and taking more and more people, not only off their medicine, more importantly, off of their diagnosis, because the diagnosis is what has people think that there's something wrong with them. And if there's something wrong with them, they want to correct it. And look, I couldn't agree with you more on so many levels. And I, it's a huge part of our Rocksteady community conversation to hold the diagnosis lightly. There can be some comfort in being diagnosed. It's like, okay, there's something to explain what I'm going through. That can feel quite nice, but it doesn't mean you'll be that way forever. And it doesn't mean that diagnostic label needs to define you or your actions because yeah. above everything else, you're a whole person with a very rich physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual inner world. And all of that is mapped through your neurology, through neural pathways. And we're co-creating how that expresses itself and how it grows and evolves and changes. And sometimes that's for the better. And sometimes that's, you know, more anxiety and more depression if we don't have the strategies and support and community and options to really participate in how we're growing and evolving and changing. Exactly. And also, um, the other thing I wanted to mention just for listeners is I have had periods of depression and anxiety throughout my life and it can come and go. And they have always been very, very rich times of evolution and growth and change for me when I've sort of paused, I've almost gone into my own little cave and I've deeply questioned the world as I see it and feel it. And I, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. Um, I'm 38 now and I think I'm much better at it. I, I, I've, I've gotten better at meeting the difficult moments and, and weeks and I'm getting better at <clears throat> questioning without needing answers and being okay with uncertainty and being okay with not knowing things. And I, I really feel it's a valuable part of maturity. And so going into these deep emotions and not shying away from it has been extremely formative for me as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagine missing out on that. I wouldn't have yeah. that experience to draw upon. Right, exactly. And it sounds like, you know, you've done your uh, a lot of deep work. And, 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 you know, what's interesting is that it's available for all of us. And mm-hmm. once I once, you know, I still was called upon after 2006 to, you know, the only reason that people refer to psychiatry is because they, they have reached the end of their rope and feel like it's time to, yep. like, you know, in, in an American phrase, time to throw the toaster out of the window, you know, like the toaster's not working. So let's try one last thing. We'll toss it out the window and see if that fixes it. Yeah. And, you know, the medications do cause their own form of chemical imbalance because that's what they're built to do. Yeah. So if you get to the idea that the medications are often perpetuating or causing the actual symptoms are marketed to treat, we have something here that's um, fairly nefarious or diabolical. And, and the, frankly, it's not, it's not either of those things. I used to be, I used to be very upset with this concept of medication, but now I realize that it's not the medications that are the problem at all. And it's not even the people who make the medications. That's the problem. You know, there, this is a beautiful system that's built on a lot of feedback loops that actually work together. And as you mentioned, it can be very comforting to have a diagnosis because then I don't have to have responsibility for all the stupid stuff I'm doing in my life. You know, when I'm hurting somebody or uh, by mistake or even on purpose or 
if I'm missing deadlines or not making it to work or sleeping in too late or getting fat or, you know, uh, I don't want to go out with people. I have a diagnosis. That's great. All of a sudden, I'm not me anymore. I'm actually, the reason I hurt you, honey, is because uh, I have ADHD or something. And, and um, there is some comfort in relieving responsibility for taking authorship of your entire life. And diagnoses certainly offer that opportunity to blame it on something that isn't us. And then there's also comfort in diagnosing people. You see, if you're from a psychologist standpoint or a psychiatrist standpoint, when you diagnose somebody, it sort of implies that you have the power to actually ascertain the difference between normal and abnormal. It's, and Yeah, there's a bit of an uncomfortable ego hit in it. Oh, a little bit, a little it's bit. The, yeah. It's actually the reason I left psychology. Mm -hmm. the single reason I left, which, you know, yeah. that was over 20 years ago. So could, it could be different these days, but yeah. No, it's not, it's not much different. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea is that, you know, we, we, uh, it's kind of hubris, right? It's kind of, it's kind of arrogant to think that I should be able to diagnose you as being less than average or something as if I know what average is, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about average either. So the idea, you know, really becomes that when we connect with another person, when we resonate with another person, that's when healing arises and it rises spontaneously at that moment. Yeah. Like you don't have to be sitting in a, in a psychoanalyst's office four days a week and you don't have to move to Tibet. You don't have to go to an ashram. You don't have to, you know, sit under a Bodhi tree. You don't have to do any of that, actually. All you have to really do is connect with another person. And once that connection takes place, it's a, it's a massive a massive shift that becomes immediately available. Yeah. And I mean, I actually shared with my Rocksteady community on a live call this week that on Sunday, I met my inner 13 year old. This is spontaneously while I'm sitting on my own in my quiet sitting, doing a body scan. So it's just me. But for the first time in 25 years, my 13 year old came and spoke to me and the healing was like a waterfall. Like I could just feel the neurology changing. It was really, really beautiful. And so I think this, this relationship can also be a connection with ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I like that. Uh, I think that's true. You know, your inner 13 year old shows up or you get an, you get a, an opportunity to reflect with yourself and, you know, there's only one you, you could say, but there's the you, there's the you that's talking to the you. And then there's the you who actually sees you and you talking together. And really all of those yous are, are right there. And they all are part of the, the me that is me. And again, when connecting with another person, you can relate with the possibility that that's true for them as well. And once people get access to that being true for them, again, there's a resonating uh, instantaneous healing that becomes available. So, you know, along with that, what, what uh, another thing you can do is, you know, in the world of creativity, there's forms of self-expression that are overextend beyond the vocal words that we're using for this particular podcast, for instance. So art and music and dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening, photography, cleaning, etc., are all uh, ways of expressing oneself over and above just general conversation. Yeah. Once we start expressing ourselves, then we have an opportunity of being heard in a different fashion than we've ever said anything before. So getting really to the bottom of our true voice and really getting to the core messages that are in with each of us. Mm. Can, can uh, I just summarize something here? Because I feel like what yeah. you're saying is really rich and I want to shift it into a different way of hearing yeah. it. So for those of you listening with chronic conditions, 
Mm-hmm. And you actually may have been referred down the psychiatry path. It's quite common with chronic tinnitus and chronic vertigo oh, yeah. and chronic dizziness. So I'm talking to you guys listening, you folks. What we're saying is the medical model largely has been to silence and stifle what you're feeling, to suppress it, to shut it down, not just symptomatically, but also what's going on for you as a whole person. It hasn't, you, there's a possibility you haven't been offered that opportunity to be deeply heard with continuity of care over a period of time, which means you may feel unseen, unheard and misunderstood, and you may feel deeply wrong and abnormal. And that is kind of what we're seeing largely in, in the medical model. Not all the time, but let's just generalize. And then what we're talking about now is shifting away from diagnosis and away from this idea of being abnormal or wrong and actually having a space to be deeply listened to, to be deeply heard, to be deeply seen and to be deeply met in your humanity as a whole person, acknowledging all of your darkness and struggle and finding ways beyond words, such as gardening or cooking, or music to yeah. express how you're feeling and to be in your full humanity in ways that um, we may not see as healing, but there's medicine in gardening and there's medicine in cooking and there's medicine in music, etc. If we do it from this place of curiosity and exploring what's going on for me, what's real for me, not, well, I should cook dinner because I'm a woman and it's my job to feed my family, but how do I tap into that creative space of I'm really feeling actually like a nostalgic childhood meal. So I'm going to go buy the ingredients and cook that because that's what I feel like tonight. And I'm going to nourish myself through this nostalgic connection. And I could share that with my family and in that be witnessed and maybe tell a childhood story and there could be healing in that interaction. Yeah. It's great. It's really, really great. And you know, that's the, that's the model that I use as well. And this idea of, you know, self-expressing creatively and then moving forth with resonating with all people, maybe even especially those you disagree with mm-hmm. and uh, uh, connecting with people in such a way that once uh, once that connection takes place, it's a, it's an amazing experience. And I'm sure you you have experienced and probably most of our listeners have as well. And then, you know, this idea of, again, being creative. So really taking on even the areas of creativity that you've been told you're not good at, or you're pretty sure you don't know how to do. So that's where like, you know, dancing, you go ahead and dance alone if you want for a minute in your room every day, go ahead and see how, see what the impact is of that when you're expressing yourself. Um, you know, the, 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 it's almost magic how that works. And we start looking at this and we start seeing how fast, how fast this veers away from conventional psychiatry. Conventional psychiatry really is a way of determining or declaring that if you're doing stuff that's outside of the range of a very vague, uh, small center scope of something called normal, which nobody even knows how to define, um, that you need to be adjusted into that normalcy. You can't have too many moods. You're not allowed to be anxious. You shouldn't be sad. You can't be scared, you know. Imagine living in a world where everybody is accepted and appreciated as they are, warts and all, all the eccentricities. And imagine if we were encouraged to explore our inner ritual and be curious. Imagine if we were given that independent sense of self and honoured as that. Like the world would be such a rich, different, beautiful place. And 
Something else I've noticed recently, um, I have a lot of time to think because I'm a mother of young kids, so I get like these <laughs> reflective downloads. But as I get more and more at home with myself and as I heal a lot of my inner unprocessed younger stuff, meet the inner parts of myself that may have been suppressed and silenced, I notice that I feel full. I feel content. I feel balanced. I feel clarity. I feel available and open to connection not just with myself and humans but also just the world of nature and birds and there's a there's a spaciousness that comes and when I look back at the me that was more cluttered and melancholic and anxious and periods of depression etc I wanted to reach out for food or go shopping or I wanted to fill up on stuff because there was just something that didn't feel right so I, I wanted stuff and I'm just really noticing the connection between feeling full and independently okay as I am in my center not perfect not always happy but just okay as I am and this contentment which really pulls me away from the consumerist model <laughs> so <laughs> there's a connection there too there is yeah yeah when uh, the consumerist model really takes advantage of the same uh, symptom complex that we're paying attention to here which is that the emptiness gets experienced and then there's this idea that it can be uh, filled up by something external. And so whether that's food or shopping or uh, drugs or sex, you know, people find something that that uh, soothes their discomfort or their their pain or their misery, or attempt to find something for the short term that actually soothes those areas. And, you know, that it, it, it works for a short term, perhaps, but it generally leads to worsening symptoms, actually, a depletion, and then, you know, needing to even do it more bigger or better. And, uh, and, you know, that's where this whole notion of addiction gets started. I don't think we want to go there right this very minute, but that is what addiction really gets started along those levels. Um, which, is, which is basically coming back to the I'm not enough. So I need something out there to fix me or fill me up and, and, and really meeting that statement of, well, am I enough? Can I be enough? And exploring that deeply can be an avenue for healing and can be an avenue for finding a voice. I have a question for you, Dr. Fred. Um, if someone's feeling afraid of discovering what's going on inside of them, because they might feel incongruence and inner conflict and stuck, yucky feelings, and it's all a blur, and they're not really sure where to start, so they're frightened. What would you have to say to that kind of person that feels overwhelmed by even getting started at finding their voice and finding space to connect? Well, you know, fear is kind of an independent feature of what it is to be human. And you're going to be afraid either way. You're going to be afraid whether you're afraid of something, what you're going to find, or you're, or you're going to be afraid of not finding what you should have found. You're going to be afraid of people, and then you're going to be afraid of being alone. You know, being afraid is something that's so universal. So the one thing to do is really recognize that we're all dealing with this massive sense of the inner fear that's, dri that's driving nearly every action we have. You know, perhaps the most paramount thing that we're generally very afraid of is the whole notion of death. And so, you know, the, this idea that we're all going to die, you know, we can sort of say that with some degree of of self-righteousness. But in reality, most of us really aren't accepting that we're all going to die. And, you know, we are so afraid of death and, and so afraid of what death means and that it's wrong and bad and frightening and painful and horrible. Um, but if we were to actually lose that fear of death, that would, that would relieve the world of so much fear. 
So the fear here is that, you know, you're going to uncover something that's already there anyways, right? I mean, this fear you're speaking of, the fear that you're going to actually discover something that's already there anyways, is what you're claiming to be afraid of. So I invite you to get that either you can be afraid and not figure out what's driving you or be afraid and figure out what's what's driving you. And, you know, there's with the proper attention and the proper partnership and the proper listening of another person or a group of people in a group setting, um, it tends to dissipate the fear somewhat. So you can step forward into really learning a little bit more about yourself including the areas of life where you might have some degree of shame or some degree of guilt or some degree of blame uh, or regret or resentment. And that's okay because us humans, that's just what we do. And, and, you know, when we start seeing that it's not singular to you, it becomes a little bit more possible to show up uh, courageous and, you know, really show up and take this stuff on, even though, uh, even though fears were, you know, running the day. Yeah, what it what it brings up for me is um, one of the reasons I, I developed a self-study process for clients who have these chronic symptoms and they, they don't know their next step, but they know they want something. Um, the self-study process is beautiful because it's self-paced. And so you can actually meet that fear very gently and tiptoe in, in, in choices and ways that helps you feel like you want to do it and you're ready to do it. So you don't from my perspective you don't need to face big stuff and be overwhelmed head on although sometimes you might actually willingly walk into overwhelm and meet that overwhelm and and want to feel through that and body scan there and bring in all your tools and self-soothing but in the beginning i think it's about learning what self-soothing tools and regulation tools and understanding your nervous system and in the group context like we have our monthly rocksteady group calls listening to other people go through their troubleshooting and fear just so that you have a, a little bit of a container to understand what it might look and feel like as you build up the courage to move toward that. So my my reflection on that question would be, it's okay to have baby steps and it's okay to do nothing and actually be paralyzed in the fear until you feel softened and the ice melts and you feel like you can make that first small step on your own terms and in your own time. That's the beauty of of education like i provide education tools and having that space to learn self-paced and then reaching out to your community and your mentors or your therapist or coaches or friends family um, mm-hmm. i know i have people in my community who i go on walks with and we have really deep chats it's not therapy it's just human connection so finding mm-hmm. our people is is part of i think finding our voice and moving toward that healed version of ourselves that accepts the whole and it's one step at a time yeah yeah it really is it's one step at a time and you know uh i I think one of the things that your your listeners should know is that you know the once probably some of them or many of them have accepted even if they uh, rather not accept even if they think that it's with some degree of protest uh, that they have a psychiatric diagnosis and that there's something actually wrong with the way that they're thinking or behaving, that they are uh, maybe predis- predispositioned to be, um, you know, actually abnormal or actually afflicted or actually defective or actually, you know, deranged. And, and it might not be that any of those things are true. You see, it, 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 
part of our human trait is that all of us think that there's something wrong with us. It's kind of like a normal part of being human is to know that you're not normal. And, yeah. you know, and I want yeah. to put that I want to put that into perspective when we you know wind the clock back a few thousand years and we really relied on our tribe to feed us to house us to support us the idea of belonging and acceptance and being enough was vital for survival and I think we still have these ancestral hang-ups of am I enough do I belong am I accepted because there's not just a fear of death I would say but a fear of rejection and being alone yeah. Because we yes. can't survive out in the wild on our own. We need connection. We are born innately to connect. And yeah, I've just been learning about the attachment theory again and revisiting some of that. And it's so innate how our nervous systems connect as in, in, in utero and as infants. Like we are literally born to co-regulate each other and our nervous systems match. And I think that's part of the listening you're talking about that when I could be feeling like I'm falling apart and I'm breaking into a thousand pieces and feel so down and out and perhaps even wrong. And if I'm met by someone who's solid and steady and their heart's open and they're available and they're listening, I can co-regulate off their nervous system. I can connect with them and my nervous system can stabilize because that person's holding me and listening without judgment. That's healing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great form of healing. And, uh, you know, it's one of more than one form, but it's a it's a great form of which is the, the connection that can take place when one feels shattered or disintegrated uh, when they come across somebody who's seemingly uh, at least uh, in a time space uh, continuum where they feel uh, whole and complete like you can borrow their whole and completeness. You can resonate like a tuning fork with you know, with people who are uh, generally intact when you're not feeling intact. And again, the, the healing or the borrowing, the, almost like a, uh, you know, like a hotspot borrowing is uh, uh, available uh, for all of us. And it's available even when you're feeling terrifically down and out and disintegrated. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like the more um, extreme the feeling is uh, being experienced makes it less healable. It's just another piece of it. And when you feel a... Uh, when you feel extremely uncomfortable, you may just be on the verge of, of, a, uh, of a massive breakthrough. Yeah. And, and also where our nervous system will allow us to sense it to what we're sort of able to tolerate and ready for. And so with time, we actually may get deeper, darker dips, but also higher peaky highs as our tolerance increases, as our nervous system and body and brain become more able to really process those bigger life experiences. And so that's been a huge learning for me as I get older. It's not to push away the big stuff because it's actually allowing me to have a broader contrast on my tapestry. Or if we think about a painter, it's like rather than everything being monotone and pastel, I might be starting to get some really dark definition alongside some pastel colors. And so I'm getting more contrast and more emotional bandwidth. And I'm strong enough to, to hold that space and feel it without suppressing, pushing down and running away, which could have been really necessary when I was younger because it was too much. Yeah, right. The impulse to want to run away uh, is mitigated by the possibility of standing still inside of your whole potpourri, your whole smorgasbord of human emotions, and then being able to embrace those emotions as being uh, critical pieces of what it simply is means to be a human being. 
uh, is where uh, another set of satisfaction, growth, and development can arise from. This idea that there's nowhere to run away to, anyways, and and you know, and I mean, not that that can be disturbing in its own right. If when I'm tr when I'm very interested in running away, and then I realize that there's nowhere to run to, that can be a disturbing a disturbing uh, finding. Um, and and that, that's exactly what chronic tinnitus, chronic vertigo and chronic dizziness people are living with. They don't like what they're sensing and feeling and they would love to run away, but they can't and no one can take it away from them. So they have to rebuild their nervous system and rebuild new neural, neural naps that create a new sensory normal. And they have to build that step by step. It's not something you or I, Dr. Fred, can do for them. So it's it's very confronting, but I think it's comforting to, to really believe and understand that the body is bought is built to be adaptive we are highly adaptive creatures and if we put ourselves in these positions of what dr fred's talking about connection and feeling listened to feeling seen feeling heard the brain can relax the limbic system can relax and more neural pathways can shift and change rather than get locked and stuck in repeating symptom patterns and neurological circuits that are really locked in fight flight freeze um so a lot of this is about softening trusting shifting from fear to love it sounds a bit hoo-hoo but actually that's the biologically what needs to happen for the changes to relax and occur yeah yeah shifting into love and um uh you know these these sort of biological uh associations that i think you're referencing uh can and do really happen it's uh the idea again inside the world of listening or accepting forgiving showing compassion yeah. Uh, being, you know, having some gratitude um, and uh, taking the world to ills. It's a challenging world out there. Very painful, very painful stuff going on. You know, hard to see, hard to hear about, and hard, hard to uh, describe and hard to be part of. And, and when we can get how disturbing the world really is, is an urgency to coming to grips with your humanity like right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. if you don't if you don't speak your true voice and no one will ever hear you and, you know, no one will ever even know you. Well, uh, to, to even take it a step backwards, it's like if I don't listen to the true joy here in my center, I call it my center. Mm -hmm. Then I never hear me. Yeah, that's right. It's not that no one else. Ever, it's like I never hear me if I'm saying what I think I should say and responding based on how I think other people need to feel if I'm avoiding their discomfort and not saying what's okay or not okay with me or not connecting to that deep calling within myself. If I'm being protective of other people's emotional tolerances, I'm actually not being true to me and not hearing me. Right. That's a critical piece of this true voice is really coming to grips with what part of you is true to you. And what part of you is true to you this moment doesn't have to be the same as what yeah. part of you will be true to you tomorrow. So uh, it can really just, uh, you know, we give a deep access to assessing where we are in any given second. And then being able to communicate that effectively is where the trick and the practice comes. You need at least one other person to communicate. But if you use some of the skill sets that we introduce in the Creative Eight or that we introduce in True Voice methodology, um, then, you know, my experience is you can take uh, very big strides in the world of communicating in the world of finding your tribe and creating a legacy in the world of actually ending all wars, uh, because all wars need to be uh, dealt with through active and honest, authentic communication, yeah. whether they're inner wars or outer wars. I was just about to say inner wars or outer wars. 
I'd love to wrap up this conversation with uh, chatting about your words, humanity, unity, and global madness. Mm -hmm. I feel deeply at an emotional level the confusion and the lack and the deficit and the fear that is like the the air the water we're swimming in the air we're breathing globally this global madness of people being so distracted by the noise and the marketing and the advertising and the shoulds and the urgency to be somewhere we're not right now there is i feel this global madness and for me coming back to my center and presence and really identifying, okay, what is mine and what is not mine has been game-changing. Solitude, quiet time, sitting with myself every day. I have two small children and my family allow me that, uh, you know, um, space. It's a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious. That's kind of my thoughts on global madness and coming home to my humanity and my center and almost like cleaning my teeth. I feel like I need to clean myself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually daily from mm-hmm. this mad clutter that I'm, I'm living in. Um, and I believe that's part of killing the planet, each person doing their piece. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, global madness, humanity, unity, what does that bring up for you? Well, global madness is a, you know, it's a, it, we're on the fringe all the time. And as far as I can look back at it, you know, we're on the fringe and some of us tip over on one side of the razor's edge and others on the other, meaning, Uh, You know, I like to think that madness is a uh, facsimile, but I think what happens is our we are our reality and the limits of our reality get broken down. And now we're in free fall, kind of looking for a new reality to capture who we have now become on the outside of the reality uh, that we had had in place. And that gets translated into this notion of being mad or being in madness. Humanity had, you know, when humanity is growing and developing, they're automatically going to the edges of what uh, what it is are the limitations of our experience of what it is to be human. So we're always risking in some ways going into the unknown, going into the undoable, going into the no template area of life. And that can be, yeah, and that, and that can be perceived as being mad or going mad. Global Madness as a project was something I put aside or put uh, in place uh, prior to the lockdown. And the intention was to come to a lot of places, including Australia, actually, as well as, uh, (coughs) excuse me, Norway, Zimbabwe, Rwanda. We had eight sites picked out and we were, you know, these are different spaces where people were dealing with mental illness and uh, what seemed to be relatively... um, novel methodologies and the, the process was leading to successes that far outreached, far outweighed and far improved upon anything uh, that the United States had ever put in place. Uh, you know, in Australia, there was someone who was doing this thing called surf therapy. And, um, you know, they, this is so great. Like you, you take someone for just two weeks and teach them how to surf and then all the psychiatric symptoms that they had uh, disappeared on the backside of two weeks on a reliable basis. And that makes a lot of sense. They actually, that happens in my hometown. Oh, okay. They take, they take trouble. Yeah, I live at the, it's the surf capital of Australia, right down in, um, the bottom yeah. of the country. Yeah, and they, exactly. take tr- they take troubled kids and they give them mentoring, yeah. I think, for six weeks. Yeah, exactly. And they get wetsuits and surfboards and they do schooling out in the ocean. Yep, exactly. So that's cool. This is right in your neighborhood. Uh, 
you know, and th that's really what global madness is. You know, it's the idea that, uh, say, you know, when you have a broken arm and you're in Zimbabwe, uh, and then you, you know, somehow find yourself in like Ottawa, Canada, or, you know, St. Petersburg, Russia, or something, uh, you still have a broken arm. It's called a broken arm. You know, it's, a, it's, uh, but when you're oddly thinking or showing behaviors that are against the norm of a particular society, and then you move from even, you know, one part of a country to another part of the country, you can actually be, have your diagnosis shifted from being abnormal to normal, or from being abnormal to gifted, or, you know, it's, it's such a vague definition, this whole but mental illness thing. It's the cultural context, which, which is why understanding our, our childhood and our family of origin and, and some of our generational trauma um, can help us understand why we have the feelings we have about ourselves. Exactly, yeah. And, and then inviting in new conversations, new narratives and new belief systems means we're not only healing ourselves, but future generations because we're passing on. Yeah a different and that that's been one of the key motivators for me to sort out some of my suppression and, and childhood trauma is i don't want to repeat the pattern and it's so easy to repeat it's it's like ingrained neurologically so it's yeah. automated and to unwind some of that behavior in particular for me with with relationship and relationship breakdowns and communication style i've had to really slow down and unlearn behaviors and replace mm -hmm. them with new, softer, warmer listening behaviors, which did not come naturally. That's right. Exactly. Well done. Well said and well done. I don't think I could have said it any better than that. And I, I mean, that's what uh, humanity and unity and global madness really represents. This idea that um, welcome to humanity is the name of the you know parent brand. And that's just a self-explanatory way of looking at all human experiences being exquisite and embraceable including the unembraceable, it's also embraceable. And, uh, and you know, and then uh, the Global Madness is more, well, it's the title of the, of the documentary, but uh, it's also a title of an award-winning article I wrote called Global Madness, What We Must Do to Unite. And it won a, won a you know, fairly prestigious award uh, in California. And it's a good article talking about um, how, you know, what it would take for all of us to come together as one people. Uh, and, uh, you know, this unity is, we start really realizing one person, one people, we are one, you know, it's like, uh, we really are mycelium connected to each other, that death is inevitable and our opportunity and our, uh, you know, our, our existence should be geared towards living a life that's uh, fruitful or joyful or a contribution, uh, after all, or some form of legacy, some form of, you know, bringing, uh, beauty to a world that certainly could use it yeah and i feel like finishing with that can be as simple as having the available space to listen and witness someone witness. and see someone and hear someone because that yeah. will be helping with their nervous system regulating and them seeing their inner truth if it's reflected exactly and when well, we're cluttered and living in fear and feeling wrong and feeling abnormal it's really hard to listen it's really hard to be present it's really hard to co-regulate it is um, Exactly, Joey. That's really it's well like said. The, the conversation's just going around in circles because it's um, this this stuff is so important. And as a mother, I'm just seeing these little connections all day long. And it now that I have the insights I have, I can parent completely differently. Yeah. Um, and I think the other interesting thing that comes to me with this work you're talking about of connecting and listening and finding our voice is I think the younger version of me 
had this idea of how things should be. Like if we go back into the context of being a mother, well, this is how a mother should be and what a mother should do. And so I would have been sort of rushing around trying to fit all of those ideas and constructs that I picked up in the world. Whereas now I find, now I find I'm curious about my kids. I'm curious about their inner world. I'm curious about how they're going and I'm responding in real time rather than this idea of what should be. And that's right. It's, it's fun. It's like so much more present and fun and available so um, I just wanted to bring into the real world how this, this has such impact on every moment, every choice. Yeah, exactly. Well said again. I mean, it really does. And you have an opportunity not to be a prisoner of the habits that brought you to now. And so the opportunity exists to actually say or do something entirely different starting the second. And that's what I'm inviting our listeners to do. And, you know... How yeah, do people find you? Why don't you share your website and share some of your offerings before we... Website start? is welcometohumanity.net. And the best way to find me is to email me at drfred at welcometohumanity.net. I have an a opportunity for your listeners to have a discovery call with me. Um, normally, it's uh, got some value, you know, $250 or so. And I'm willing to have a free conversation with anyone who thinks that my conversation might assist them or someone they know. Uh, the work we do is in the work of transformational coaching or is in the work of, you know, rapid restorative healing and uh, restorative coaching is really what I'm up to. So if you're um, thinking about getting into the psychiatric system and you haven't not done so, I might be a good person to talk to. And if you're ready to get out of that system and really have, you know, have it in your soul that it's time to leave the conventional system and get your life back, I also have your back there. I also like to teach podcasting, and I have a great book that I wrote uh, this year, which I invite your listeners to uh, get a free copy of the actual book. And you can find that at findyourtruevoicebook.com, uh, findyourtruevoicebook.com, and um, uh, we'll get that book out to you. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, it's just uh, a matter of taking the step one at a time, you know, we're actually getting the communication and connection are indeed at the heart of all healing, mm-hmm. and that probably mental illness is just a conversation that has brought you to where you are. And if you don't want to be mentally ill anymore, it's completely possible to lose that mental illness. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll try and get those links up with with all of these. So thank you for listening. I'm Joby Remini from seekingbalance.com.au. To learn more about Rocksteady and my community, visit seekingbalance.com.au. And you can find the pathways to connect with me there. Dr. Fred, it's been a really fun conversation and thank you so much. Lovely to connect back to some of my psychology, psychiatry <laughs> roots so many, so many years ago. So that's been thank a really you. nice conversation. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Keep doing the work. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye for now.